0: Love Talk Radio.
1: As some of you in the uh, chat room have guessed, that was a little bit of Fleetwood Mac that were playing for you here. Hi, this is Amy Peekoff. I've got Pos- uh, Bosch Austin here kind of shaking his head.
2: No, I, <laughs> I actually have it on my list. It, just, it was so different than what you usually do. So I know. I was like, okay. Is, is this the right show?
1: I did. I got inspired. I got inspired. But go, you know, go your own way. It's yeah, a little bit life. consistent with the American sense of life, I think. So I think it's going to fit in.
2: Whatever it mean. say means. Whatever Fleetwood Mac means, yeah.
1: True. Yeah. True. Who knows? I don't know. You
2: can go your way with drugs. I can go my way with drugs, you know? You can take the heavy-duty <laughs> ones, I can take the light ones. So who knows? Who
1: welcome knows? to everyone here over at Blog Talk Radio. I see Elliot, Daniel. Daniel, welcome back. Hello, everyone. We missed you last week. You weren't keeping us on task, and we'll see how you can do it, keeping us on task this week. Go to my blog at DontLetItGo.com if you want to check out all the program notes for today's show And of course, at the top of the program notes is a link to the Blog Talk Radio sponsor of this show, which is Audible, Audible, the audiobook seller that whisper syncs with your Amazon Kindle books. If you would like a free trial of Audible, go to audibletrial.com forward slash Amy Peikoff, that's A-M-Y-P-E-I-K-O-F-F. And you can also find that link, like I said, at my blog at don'tletitgo.com. So how is everyone doing? Bruno says, hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us, Bruno. Hey, Bruno. Yeah. He joined us from overseas, so I think that's really kind of kind of cool. Although the show right now is at a time where it doesn't make it too inconvenient for nine. people overseas to Three, to join us. If we did an evening show, it would be very difficult. We've tried that before. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, welcome, everyone. And what do we have? We've got a minute and 30 until. Do you want to say whatever the big thing of the week is for you?
2: I don't know, there's a whole load. Uh, I was reading an interview with uh, G. Willow Wilson, the Muslim writer of the uh, Miss Marvel, and the contrast between her and Ayan Hersi Ali as interviewed by Sam Harris, it's unbelievable. You know, Ayan Hersi Ali post-9-11 in good conscience leaves Islam. This rat post-9-11 joins Islam and says, I spent years, but I realized it had nothing to do with it with, this, with uh, 9-11 because it takes years to realize that, right? Anyway, that's a big difference. It's just, just something I just read right now. But the whole week has been crazy as usual.
1: All,
3: right.
2: All the news. And I don't know. I, I think we've got to really pick and choose a little more wisely. For myself, at least. I, I, just, I tend to read everything, and I'm going to cut back on that.
1: It's funny because I was going through all of the links that you sent me, and yeah. you send me a good variety of links each week. And there's no way uh-uh. I could get to all the things that are there, so I have to pick and choose. And then, of course, other people have sent me some good stuff as well, so we'll get into that. The big news for me, and we'll talk about it as we start the show, is that I have actually officially started the <laughs> real writing of my book that I keep talking about that I've been working on for a long time. And I think the timing of it is good, and we'll talk about why that is in uh, a minute or two. But let's go ahead and get this show started here. You are listening to the May 9th, 2014 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. It's the show where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. That's the philosophy that upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peekoff, and joining me here, as usual, in the studio is cartoonist Bosch Vostem. Hello, Hello Bosch. Bosch. Hello, And today, I've just titled the show very simply, Don't Let It Go, and that was because this week in particular, I was inspired to go back and revisit the essay by Ayn Rand called Don't Let It Go, which was the inspiration of the name of my blog, the inspiration for the name of this show as well. We just added Unheard on the end because it's kind of cute, (laughs) but anyway, let's take a look at that, and I want to look at it from the perspective of how are we doing in 2014 versus 1971 when Ayn Rand originally wrote the essay. And remember, what Ayn Rand said is that if you want to predict the future of a country, you look at, of course, the actions, what sort of step is, you know, step is, or path is the country on in terms of the steps that it's taking in one direction or the other. Another thing that you look at is the explicit ideas held in the culture of the country. And then finally, something more ineffable, something kind of hard to get your you know, mind around—the sense of life of a country. And she spends most of the essay talking about what is the uniquely American sense of life, and basically with the ideas that are behind it, and how yes, it's a good sense of life; it's been saving us from totalitarianism so far, but unless. We get our explicitly held ideas in line with the uniquely American sense of life. We're going to be so far down the path towards totalitarianism, that at some point it's going to be too late. And that's the essential warning of her essay, Don't Let It Go. Someone in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio... Uh, those, Robert NYC, he says, Mick Fleetwood donated to ARI in the past. Now, see, I didn't even know that, <laughs> but I just really like that song. So that song and, actually might
2: mean, you know, go your own individualistic way. I mean, who knows? I mean, <laughs> you go your own way as an individual.
1: Something with a relationship, you know, Possible. breaking up a relationship as far as I know. That's but pretty
2: interesting. I we didn't... also heard someone else was donor, but I don't know if we if we can say so, or or, or we can't?
1: No, I can't. We really. Uh, if, oh, okay. I think I don't know if you know if you know about who donors are, yeah. unless it's publicly available knowledge that you guess. should be talking about yeah. those sorts of things. If you've heard it somewhere, well, maybe just, you've it, heard it and you're nice not to supposed to. Hear, to.
2: It's all nice yeah. to hear who you know who's a donor there because it's it's very cool.
1: Yeah, I'd be interested, Robert, to know how you how you heard. That's really kind of cool to know. And I just that is, that is cool. Small world. I would love it to hear that the Jezebels know anything about Ayn Rand, but I've got no hopes at all with regard to the explicitly held philosophy of the the Jezebel. The next
2: album is called Ayn Rand. (laughs) Is it really? Yeah. I'm joking.
1: (laughs) Uh, It's called uh, called,
2: Don't Let It Go. It's called The Virtue
1: of Pride. That's that's exactly right. (laughs) The Virtue of Pride. How how many people actually hold pride as a virtue out there?
2: The Virtue of the Ego.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. It would. I mean, it, it would be amazing if so. Anyway, go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com and you will see links to all the stories, et cetera, that we plan to discuss today. You can also, while you're there, if you want, subscribe to my blog. And I think subscribing to my blog is probably the best way to stay in touch with me because Facebook. Yes, there are pages on Facebook. I've got a Don't Let It Go on Her page on Facebook. I also have a Legalized Privacy page on Facebook that I'll talk about in a second, but if you've either participated in pages on Facebook or maybe you have a page on Facebook, you've noticed that when you post something on a page on Facebook, only a fraction of the page's followers actually see the post. And I would think you'd have to pay thousands of dollars in order to ensure that all of a page's followers actually see a single post. That's how they do the advertising fees over at Facebook. Facebook is a business. They're in it to make profit. I don't blame them, but the upshot is is that if you do really want to stay up with anything important that I'm doing, go ahead and subscribe to my blog over at DontLetItGo.com, and that is the most reliable way. And the thing that's exciting to me this week, I talked about it a little bit in the exclusive for Blog Talk listeners segment at the you know first 6 minutes of the show today it's that i have actually officially sat down and started putting pen to paper on my book and it's not that i don't have any of my book written i do have quite a bit of my book written but i've never officially committed to okay i want to get the book done by a certain date how am i going to do it am i going to try to get a publisher am i going to self publish how am i going to publish it am i going to get some hard copies printed up? Am I going to just do it through ebook? book uh, What kind of time frame do I think I can do it in? How am I going to do it? This is all stuff that I'm actually finally committing to. And uh, if you want to keep up on that, I'm going to put a post at my blog about that pretty soon. I will also post it on the Legalized Privacy page on Facebook. The book is called Legalizing Privacy, Why and How? And I do think, I mean, I've been working on privacy issues, people who have known me, For over a decade, I've done speaking and writing and thinking about these issues. It actually started as an assignment from Leonard Peikoff when he was doing his radio show, Philosophy Who Needs It. He said one time, they always talk about this right to privacy. Go out there, Amy, and see if there really is something called a right to privacy. And so I went to the Law Review article that had been credited with originating the whole idea and giving the basic argument for the right to privacy. Read that thing and said, Whew, this is full of hot air. This argument for a separate right to privacy." And that's where it all started for me. And I've just been, you know, working little bits here and there, here and there ever since. And it's only recently with uh, a Supreme Court holding from 2012 in the U.S. versus Jones case, where they said that, you know, if you put a GPS tracking device in the bottom of the car, it is a search. Reading opinions in that case, plus thinking about the issues more in the light of Edward Snowden's revelations last year where I've gotten this angle on the issue where I'm going to be arguing that essentially, given the lifestyle that we lead today, privacy is, in essence, illegal. And I'm going to explain why that is, how we got to this place, and what we should do about it. That's what the book is going to be about. But this angle, I think, would not have been possible Until 2014. So I'm going to say, yeah, I procrastinated in getting this book actually started and committing to getting it done. But at the same time, everything does seem to be working in my life in a way that is appropriate. I don't think there's fate, but I do Mm -hmm. think that there's an accumulation of experiences and looking at, at material from different angles that you can benefit from. And that's another thing that I was thinking about with respect to why we're going to go back to the don't let it go theme on this show today. So I'm hoping people will find that valuable as well. The other thing I wanted to mention is that part of my inspiration for just diving in and getting this book done was listening to both Don Watkins and Alex Epstein in the last couple of weeks or so. I guess each of them have finished their books, Alex Epstein more recently. I think Don Watkins finished his book several weeks right. ago. But this is the second book for Don Watkins, the first one, of course, he co-authored with Yaron Brook of the Ayn Rand Institute. But Don just cranked out a book, and he has a kid at the same time. How he does this, I'm in awe. And then, of course, Alex Epstein did his on deadline. Of course, he had a nice advance from a publisher with a deadline, an external deadline, you know, uh, kind of prompting him there, which is excellent. But he got it done. He got it done on time, on deadline. He requested help on certain things when he needed it. He got that help. He worked and kicked his butt. And I give a, I give you a link to Alex Epstein's page on Facebook because he said, and this is great because um, I'm on Alex Epstein's email list, and he wrote an email the last few days, and it said, The End, and he talks about how he finished and turned the book in. And I wrote back, and I told him something that I had mentioned to don watkins several weeks ago and i said don you guys could have a seminar on how to write yeah. books quickly how to turn out books quickly mind you there's a you know there's reasons to turn books out more quickly and there's reasons to really take your time and be more careful but if and you spend know your subject years.
2: if you own it then it's, it then is it's really a matter bad. of getting yeah. down to do it it's yeah really, it it's, it's about cracking down
1: Right, right. And it is a point of, yes, maybe you could spend many more years on it, but would the actual improvement be commensurate with the amount of time and agony that you spend at a certain point either? So there's all these issues, right? Um, But how do you turn out a quality book quickly? This is the sort of thing that I think Don Watkins and Alex Epstein could knowledgeably speak about and it would be very valuable to people. So then I saw Alex put a post on his Facebook page saying I don't know when he's exactly going to post this, but he said this week he's going to do a podcast sharing all of the productivity secrets that he learned while writing a book from scratch in four and a half months and at the same time running his business, the Center for Industrial Progress, which he couldn't just leave by the wayside. I'm eager to hear what he has to say. Like I said, I haven't yet heard where he's going to post this, how, when it's going to be available. But I would highly recommend listening to that because here's a guy who just cranked out a book. And it's a book that I think is going to be important and very helpful to people and help changing the culture yeah. with respect to people's attitude towards fossil fuels. It's it's very, very exciting. So. That's my little plug for that, and, like I said, actually, it was funny because I was just kind of you know how you kind of dream up scenarios in your mind, bosch, where you know, what if this happens, right. and it's ridiculous? I'll do that. So I was thinking, well, what if Alex Epstein announced that he had a live broadcast of that at the same exact time as my live broadcast of this show? I was thinking I would be tempted to cancel this show and just tell everybody to go listen to his thing because I think it's that important. Many of us do have books inside us now, and it's just time to get down and do it. Uh, There is uh, one woman who has a book on how to write a book quickly, and I'm exploring that. And if I find her techniques helpful, then I will go ahead and share those with you as well. But I'm still exploring. I'll have a, pod- yeah, have a podcast about that. I just,
2: I just one thing also, in terms of timing, uh, we've been waiting on this one project, me and Amy, to work on together. It's been taking a lot longer in, in the negotiation stage than we you know, expected to, which is why this is a good window and why I might even dive myself into issue three of the Infidel. And I think this is, he challenged you, you challenged me. I think it's time because there is a window now. Uh, and it, you know the whole thing was that that wasn't a background. It was almost... Over our head, like okay, any day now, any day now, any day now, this
1: huge project is going to descend upon and me. And it's, it's going to yeah. demand
2: all of our time, and that hasn't literally happened yet. There's still, some hoops to go through. So, in the meantime, I think I will try to get issue three out.
1: In the meantime, I want to do the best job that I can to crank out, you know, what I essentially have to say on this topic. In, you know, efficiently as possible. And so I was looking and anyway, I'm I'm not going to bore you with all this people who are actually interested in hearing about my book and the outline and all those things. Like I said, go follow my blog at DontLetItGo.com and look out for the future because what I'm doing right now is I'm getting bids from printers. To see how much it's going to cost to do the print run of the book, and then I'll probably do some sort of Kickstarter, and I'm starting to think of the premiums that could be offered and think incentives to get people to help me get this in print and not just e-book State one.
2: Defiance has a technique here. You want to read it?
1: State Defiance is... Uh, well, and State Defiance, I think, has a little bit of book experience there. He yeah. says, I always just crack open a bottle of Jack Daniels when I write. It really goes fast after that, but I just can't remember anything. Okay, so uh-huh. then... What you've got to do, State Defiance, is, you know, instead of writing your book, right, because who knows, if you're on, under the influence of Jack Daniels, it's kind of hard to have the manual dexterity to actually type. Well, a book might but be you called Jack
2: just... Daniels, I mean. Anyway.
1: That's true. It might make its way into the book right. and, and sort of uh, remember when you Beatles they, they, they said over. if you, if you played the Beatles records backwards it right. had like satanic Devil, messages right. and stuff. So maybe there would be subliminal oh. Jack Daniels messages in the book that you wrote under the. But anyway,
2: as an aside, also I just finished uh, drawing a children's book which was very fun. Something completely different than what I normally do. No politics. No religion. No nothing. And it's uh, it'll be out of think by the end of the year. That was, that was real fun. Anyway, we'll, we'll, check, we'll yeah, check, check
1: out Bosch's Facebook page for some, some yeah. news on that. So anyway, I do want to dive in. Oh, the old, last thing I was going to say, though, State Defiance, when you're doing one of your Jack Daniels writing sessions, <laughs> perhaps the thing to do is record it. <laughs> and this is something that I'm actually thinking of doing with respect to some chapters of my book that need writing is to make a bunch of notes, you know, and what they call trigger sentences and all this, and actually talk it into a recorder and have a transcription and use that oh, as okay, my okay, draft.
2: I, I thought you were joking for a second. While while he's inebriated, I mean, I, I thought that's what you were saying, you know, to record yourself while...
1: Well, it was, he says he forgets. He can't remember anything. So if is, he recorded it... So, and he
2: slurs the words, but he won't <laughs> be able to listen to it. No, but that is something. I mean, uh, when I write dialogue, I literally say the words out. I say the sounds. If it sounds right, then I edit it based on that. I think it's important. For a non-fiction book, it's a different story. But for but yeah. but for dialogue if you if you say it and you you know if if it sounds legitimate, then you keep it if you say it, and it really sounds hokey, then even though I got a lot of philosophical battles going on, so it's it's tough to tell sometimes
1: the interesting thing though is the talking your book method for the entire book is recommended only for a non fiction oh. book and I think anyway we'll we'll talk more about this. people who are interested in book writing techniques and all that we will continue to discuss as for now, I think we're all going to sit at alex epstein 's feet and uh, see what he can teach us and and I'll combine that with what I'm getting from other sources so let's go into the theme for today 's show and remember the essay is don't let it go that's where I got the inspiration for the name of my blog that's where I got the inspiration where you know for starting the show don't let it go unheard. And in the essay, Don't Let It Go, Rand says, hey, we want to predict the future. We want to know what are we in for. Are we going to continue to go down the road to totalitarianism, or are we going to find a peaceful way to escape another dark age? And she says she thinks it's possible. Why? Because the uh, America is unique. America is unique in part because of the explicit philosophy on which it was founded. It was very, very good, although there were some errors. But more importantly, the American sense of life in which the American people implicitly held such good ideas for such a long time, that was there to save us from totalitarianism for many, many decades. And so the question really is, where are we now versus 1971 when Ayn Rand wrote this essay, Don't Let It Go? Again, the essay is in the book Philosophy Who Needs It. I've got links to the various versions of the book that you can get at Amazon and at iBooks over at my blog at DontLetItGo.com, but she says what you have to do if you want to predict the future of either an individual or a nation, you look at the following things. You look at the course of action, what actions are they taking, the conscious convictions, and the sense of life. And sense of life is this very abstract kind of woozy sounding term, but what it means is this emotional, subconsciously integrated appraisal of man, and existence. What do you think at the deep subconscious level, overall, about the nature of man, about his specs for success in the universe? Is the universe a benevolent one, or is it one that's waiting to harm you at every, you know, turn in the, around the corner and stuff? These are the sorts of things that you have to think about, and it's that sense of life that can either help you or And this is the thing. It's something that's held subconsciously, and it can either reinforce your conscious convictions, and it can be in line with your present course of action, or it can contradict those things. And so in America, what we've seen for many decades now is a continual decline toward totalitarianism. And as Ayn Rand noted in 1971, we've seen a culture that is either non-existent or completely defaulting and doing the opposite of what a culture is supposed to do. Because what has our culture been? Our our culture has been anti-reason for many decades. And so what have we had? We've had a sense of life that still upholds Americans' efficacy, you know, that we are independent entities, that we don't take garbage from anyone, that this has been there in the background held implicitly, and that has been the thing that has saved us. Um, In terms of the dominant ideas in the culture, they can be determined by a majority, but here's something that stuck out for me today when I was rereading this essay. She says, if a country is free, if a country is free, the dominant ideas in a culture, and again, that culture, the conscious convictions held in a culture, the dominant ideas, those ideas can also shape the future of our country. She says, yes, of course, those can be determined by a majority. And if you had to go by a majority today, ugh, God help you. But, she says, if a country is free, then the dominant ideas of a culture can be determined by a combination of persistence and truth. If all of us keep doing what we're doing in order to demonstrate why we think These ideas are right, and so long as they're true, if we persist, then you can determine the dominant ideas in the culture. You can have a very motivated minority who is in possession of the truth, and they just keep going and keep going and keep going, then those ideas can become the dominant ones. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm fairly optimistic based on what I looked at today when I was thinking about my you know, all these different elements. So let's, let's get into this. Now, in terms of the sense of life, she says that a dominant majority is going to share the essentials in various degrees of the nation's sense of life. And we're going to try to ask on all the different I, parameters what the sense of life is today. Sure. In terms
2: of which makes up truth, uh, there's an outright war against truth today. Outright. Mm-hmm. To make evil not evil. To make evil acceptable. To make Islam good. To make Obama seem good uh... every on every level we're being told and that's part of the war that's going on and that's what we have to fight and that's why the truth though that's the ultimate ally
1: i mean what you difference know? does it make right
2: what difference does it make what
1: difference does it make the truth but there is a very vocal minority now that believes that the truth is important and i think that that is a very good sign in 1971 here's rand evaluating you know evaluating what was going on at the time political trend was pure statism and I would say that the political trend uh, in terms of what's actually happening in politics right now, it's still true today, although we're seeing little blips of resistance in politics, yeah. little blips. But the trend still is towards pure status, you know, statism. Well, also, Obama's going around selling his egalitarianism, income inequality and garbage. And both
2: system. parties have been taken over by that a lot of ways. Even at yeah. that time, uh, there was, I mean, Nixon was a statist and others were, but not to this extent. Today, it's far worse. you got both parties. They're, they're both status parties. Right. And you have one on the outskirts, the Tea Party, trying to come in and change that, and then having a hell of a time trying, trying to do that. But
1: Yeah. But in terms of the overall politics, we've still been going steadily towards statism. Obamacare, all of the latest things that the government is doing in efforts to shut down free speech is particularly alarming. Yes, Common Core is very alarming. So I would say we're still going down that path. In the culture in 1971, Ayn Rand said that it was worse than non-existent. She said it was operating at below zero to obliterate man's rational faculty. And I was asking myself today, is that really still true? That there's really nothing significant in the culture to fight the anti-rational movement? And today I actually think there is. We have the Tea Party. We have opposition to Common Core. And we also have the influence of Ayn Rand, no. uh, not to mention the high tech industry has happened since 1971 and I think has helped to bring some good ideas explicitly the into movements. the culture that did, yeah. they weren't there to go. So I, I would say culturally, the trend today, even though it might still be pretty negative culturally, I would say that the trend today is positive And I... Yeah find that heartening. So I'm going to see if you guys agree. If you want to talk about this, please call me at 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. Also continue to participate here in the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio, and we'll continue the discussion in a minute. We had a little reprise there. I don't know how uh, smooth that was. What do you think, boss? A
2: little, a little sharp, but that's fine.
1: A little, a little sharp, yeah. But now that we know
2: there. that uh, Nick Fleetwood uh, you know, <laughs> was a, gave, gave money to ARI, I mean, it's, it sounds better all of a sudden. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I always like this no, no, song. No, no. I've had hold this on, on my hold
1: iTunes hold on, hold on.
3: forever. I have that
2: on my iTunes. No doubt. Just, as, a, as a whole band, I, I don't know. I, I like a few songs here and there. But yeah, that's, that's really cool. I, I had no idea.
1: Now, isn't this one of the few Fleetwood Mac songs that you do have in your yeah, iTunes? What other exactly. ones you have?
2: I think another one um, with Stevie Nicks, I think, one of, uh, what's it called? Landslide. I think it was about Reagan's wind. Uh, that's what it was about, right? About Reagan's landslide. Chucking. <laughs>
1: Dusty over here in the chat room, Blog Talk Radio, says, Positive, not here. Most people are trying to learn German. I don't see that, actually. Not myself. Anyway. I, I actually, I think the trend overall is positive, but I'm going to go yes. ahead and make more of the argument for that after we have the break.
2: Maybe uh, this Dusty's trying to learn German. No. Octum. Rusty. Dusty.
1: State Defiance in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio is is uh, mentioning again the idea about using Jack Daniels when you write. He says, I'm always shocked to see what comes out on the pages after I write. He says, I think Tammy Bruce calls it going into a trance.
2: Hmm. Well, mm-hmm. well, there is that when you're writing. Sometimes, when you're writing it for a while, uh, I don't know about trance, but it seems like it. you're so into what you're writing that you really everything else is by the wayside. Everything. It, it's pretty intense. That's why you know the uh, limited time periods. I think uh, is important. You know, because you you can really burn yourself out if you go for hours and hours and hours. Right. And the writing won't be as good.
1: No, and that that's definitely true. Now, some people have advocated that you actually. Just dictate your whole book
3: right.
1: in one weekend, but of course you can do it in a more rational way, which is to in one day dictate one chapter, set up another day to dictate up, you know, another chapter, et cetera. I don't know which way I'm going to do The thing with my book is that I have a lot of it already written, but it needs to be kind of reconfigured for this particular right. audience and probably condensed, edited heavily, right. so trying to figure out how to I mean the
2: books in you. It's a matter of getting it out in some a very, some
1: some of it's only you know. in me and some of it's already been put out on paper right. in various right. forms but kind of tailored in different ways. So putting it around this theme is the thing that I'm excited about. And what you have to go with too is you have to go with the thing that you are actually motivated to write about. Yeah. At the same time, I have put out there, and please feel free if you want to chime in on this, I've got over on legalized Privacy and also on the Don't Let It Go On" Unheard page calls for people to tell me, you know, if you had a book, yeah. legalized Privacy, why and how, what would you expect to learn in right. reading that book? I have my own idea, of course, and it's a lot of stuff that I've been working on in the years, but there's at least two to three chapters of new material that needs to be you know, no, 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 c- c- no, 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 no. you know, kind of, kind of written specifically for this angle, and I, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be a good time, but yeah, it's it's going to be hard. I am looking forward to seeing what Alex is up to. Oh my gosh, we are about to go right back into break. Let's get some music. that I've given you just enough of that to tease you a bit. That is Honey Child by Grandpa's Grass. And the woman who you hear singing there, who I think has an oh, excellent yeah. voice,
2: she
3: is
1: my sister. <laughs> so anyway, go check that out if you're interested, Grandpa's Grass, Honey Child. And uh, if you like that sort of music, it kind of integrates with the Fleetwood Mac that I was doing. <laughs> Even though this is a contemporary band, they kind of harken back to right. the... Grateful Dead, yeah, era. They definitely do. definitely do. Joel
2: says something good here. Um, if you want to check it out, read it.
1: Over here at Blog Talk Radio. Says, yeah. In terms of would you call the trend of the culture right. positive or negative. And again, remember the culture, right? The issue of the culture is that represents the explicitly held yeah. ideas in the nation.
2: Whether true or false.
1: And those ideas are going to be the things presumably that are going to dictate future actions. And I'm saying, as far as I can tell, that the trend is positive. And I think it's important to emphasize trend, because I agree with Joel that the culture is often bipolar right now, that there's really bad stuff, but then there's also some really good stuff. I mean, you could think about certain things like Obama and all the nihilism that I've complained about, where he thinks he's going to go on television shows and sitcoms. And that's how you appeal to the American people today, is by doing cheesy things on TV and sitcoms.
2: It's a contempt for uh, America and Americans. It is. It's an absolute contempt on his part.
1: Somebody thinks that that's what appeals, though. Now, if it's true that that is appealing, then that does... something negative about the culture diminishing
2: the uh, present the presidency you know going on between two ferns and all that crap going on the, um, the daily show
1: let me let me put it in a weird scientific term this is how I think of it so I would say the cultural the overall cultural direction is the same as Ayn Rand observed in 71 and Obama and all of his nihilism in this particular administration is a good example of that. But if you talk about, right, you you know, in physics, I'm thinking about physics. I'm so sorry, people, but this is my analogy in physics. In physics, you talk about the direction and the velocity. Okay, so the direction and the velocity of the culture is negative. However, the acceleration is positive, I think. Because I think that there are significant trends in the culture. Yes, there's a resistance. So that we have, you know, we're still going down that path in terms of a nihilist, anti-rational, anti-values culture. We're still going down that path. However, I think that certain elements that are out there that weren't there in the 70s are constituting a resistance so that the acceleration component. Right. The acceleration is in the opposite direction towards a pro-individualist, pro-rational And this
2: resistance culture. has what on their side? The truth. Right. They have reality on their side. Right. They, they can't beat that, the enemy. They can't. They can lie, you know, for you know, thousands of lives. It doesn't matter. Uh, if you want to just just read what Joel said, because it was it was very well put. And uh, this, think, one, he, yeah, this, this one, this
1: one here, yeah, Joel says that the positive and negative influences in the culture are at opposite ends of the continuum. In that sense, it's healthy because the distinctions are drawn very starkly. Yes, Joel, no, I think that is it. excellent because if people can see these competing ideas in the true sense, you know, not watered down, not yeah. like Mitt Romneyized.
2: Right. Whereas in 1971, you had yes. Ayn, Ayn Rand and. Uh, you know what I mean? You know, Ayn Rand and her works, and then he had this culture, was a, a, totally a blob full of crap in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And now we do have, you know, because of Ayn Rand. We
1: have people holding up signs as a meme saying that I want communism because that's yes. fair. And, she a and then you have Ayn Rand on salon.com. By yes. the way, I put the link to that article on my blog at don'tletitgo.com. We have those extremes right now. And I think the whenever you show their the ideas in their true unadulterated form, then the truth is going to win out. So, Bruno liked my analogy. I'm pretty happy about that. Are you able to get that?
2: I can't see. <laughs> can you move this up?
1: I don't know if you can. Yeah, you okay. can move that. Okay, great. Thanks very much. Again, it's so, let me, it's let me go ahead and answer a call because we've got a call over here at Blog me, Talk.
4: Again. Have to get a
1: Hi, who's this? Hi,
5: Amy. It's Debbie. Hi, Debbie.
1: How Hi, Debbie. are you?
5: I'm great. How are you?
1: So you're doing well and you're back at work and everything?
5: Yeah. Yeah. Happy New Year.
1: Excellent. So
5: um, it's, I'm glad to hear you talking about this essay. It's funny. I had just been listening to the book uh, on Audible. There's a little plug for Audible. Oh, right. Audible
1: audible audible. Forward, uh, AudibleTrial.com forward slash Amy Peacock for an Audible free trial. Okay. Thanks, Debbie. Go on. <laughs>
5: Yeah, I was just listening to it, and so I think just the day before yesterday, I, I heard that same essay um, that you're discussing now, and um, it's nice to hear that there are some positive things. I was kind of thinking with, while she was going through it, you know, in general, are are any of these are these things still true, specifically of the American sense of life? And the thing that really um, seemed pretty stark to me was actually she enumerated the different sort of attributes of it. One thing being the resistance to being pushed around. And Right, right. Um, and
1: we, we are gonna we are gonna talk about all of that um definitely in, in a second. The one thing I wanted to check with you because you are working in the high tech industry and obviously I'm not mm-hmm. in the industry, but I've seen, you know, some of the products. I admire some of the actual, you know, products that are made available to us, Apple and all this stuff. But I think in particular watching Steve Jobs and that commencement address where he talks about the fact that you should love your work and that you shouldn't settle, Um, that comes from the high-tech industry even though Steve Jobs wasn't an objectivist. He probably read some Rand. Who knows? I think that there are some ideas that have come out from the high-tech industry that have led to some of the culture being a bit better. Um, Also, I think the Tea Party basically is saying, don't tread on us anymore, don't tread on me. The opposition to the Common Core, I think, is very healthy, and I think the explicit influence of Ayn Rand, I think most notably recently this wonderful Salon article, where I, I'm surprised that Salon actually published this thing because it says such nice things about Ayn Rand and it dismisses all of the usual garbage. These are just kind of you know examples, but I think that the acceleration, as I said, is is positive, if that makes sense. Even though, yes, we are still moving, I think, in an overall bad direction, that you can see signs of an acceleration in the opposite direction towards individualism, towards egoism, towards rational, you know, towards reason, towards, you know, embracing reason. What do you think?
5: Yeah, I agree. I I really like that analogy, too. Um, I think that it makes a lot of sense. Um, and, yeah, I I see that. The, I think you're right. Like, we're definitely not. I mean, we've got things like Obamacare that we didn't have since 1971. So there is that fact that just sort of on a... On an existential level, we're we're still moving in that negative direction. But oh yeah, no, we.
1: I I totally acknowledge that. You know, in terms of the actual things that are happening politically, the laws that are being enacted, the further controls that are being placed on the American people, we are still on the direction of statism. And at the political level, all we've seen are very few little blips of resistance, but it's been pretty ineffective at this point. I would say we've seen a lot more. You know movement in a positive direction or at least acceleration in a positive direction again, you know I'm going to differentiate between movement and acceleration. I think the acceleration There are actual signs of acceleration in a positive direction Culturally not necessarily politically at this
2: point. of one thing also there is an explicit anti-leftist media out there that is growing You know it really really is where it wasn't it didn't exist before it, it existed to some, to, to some extent on radio now It's websites Blogs. It's 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 a it's a podcast.
1: Right, but the explicit anti-leftist media heavily rests on sense of life, and doesn't yet heavily rest on explicitly held ideas. And I think that's
2: where they're given the truth a chance, whereas leftist media, of course, is anti-truth. No, but they're giving the truth a chance to be aired, whether it's 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 from objectivists right. going on those shows. Right, right. It's, it's more open.
1: They're open to people like us yeah. who know the correct ideas and who know the truth about situations. And yeah, they're just open to the truth. They are open to. They're the truth, open to that the is
2: yeah. or not, that's a big difference. No, is.
1: it is it is a big
2: difference. So
1: so that's kind of you know the culture, right? But then what we do need to turn our discussion to is the issue of sense of life and how is our sense of life held As Joel mentioned here over in the chat room at Blog Talk Radio, we've been subjected to decades of progressive education, which has probably done a lot to erode the, you know, uh, the sense of life of Americans. Also, just decades of the glorification of irrationality in the culture that, as I said, I think we're changing our direction with respect to that today, but people who are around today have been subjected to decades of the glorification of irrationality and that's got to have its effect on the it sense was, of life too.
2: It was meant to kill the Americanism within Americans, you know, mm. the young ones, get to their minds quick, kill any kind of Americanism that they had left.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. And so when I was looking at this essay, there's five different sort of examples, you know, Ayn Rand says it's kind of difficult to explain what the sense of life is, but there's five different sort of examples that you can give where you contrast the European sense of life with an American sense of life. And so, Debbie, now that we're at that topic, I was going to ask you, which is the one of these that was kind of striking you the most that you were seeing some development in?
5: Well, the resistance to being pushed around was, was definitely one that I think is still there, for sure, and manifests itself in the Tea Party um, mo- most most noticeably. Just uh, like I was thinking of um, when it came to light that the IRS had been singling out groups like Tea Party groups and and that sort of thing for uh, just delaying their their ability to get like 501c3 and 501c4 status and that kind of thing. So in order to prevent them from having as much of an influence on the 2012 election, some of the leaders from different Tea Party groups who were involved in that, who were victimized by the IRS, were in Congress testifying. And there's a woman just kind of scolding Congress and and telling them, you know, I'm not a serf. You're here to serve me, not the other way around, kind of how dare you. just totally proper attitude of righteous anger and and, um, fearlessly talking to them. And I really like that. I think that's a great embodiment of that resistance to being pushed around, It's that you would have a situation where a citizen goes before this legislative body and just gives them a piece of her mind.
1: (laughs) Right. And, you know, um... I, I see in that example, it's a, it's an excellent example, Debbie. I see in that example two different elements that Rand talked about in the "Don't Let It Go" essay. One of them is the refusal to be pushed around. You know, she said that basically Europeans believe essentially that man belongs to the state. A European might criticize a particular state, but overall he sees himself as belonging to a state. Whereas Americans, they see themselves as independent entities. Uh, Rand said, quote, emotionally, an American has no concept of service or servitude to anyone, end quote. And in other words, and she said it explicitly in the essay, they don't like to be pushed around. Americans refuse this. But the other thing that that example of, you know, the woman testifying before Congress and saying, hey, you guys work for us, you know, we're not, supposed to be, you know, slaves to you guys. The other thing is is it expresses an American's attitude towards public figures and politicians, which is another thing that Rand talked about in the essay, right? In America, what we do is, yeah, we go ahead and usually we'll treat these people respectfully, at least, if they deserve it, but we give them the respect as equals who have accomplished things. You know, a government official is just another human being Doing a job and they're either doing it well or they're not doing it well. Whereas in Europe, they seem to treat people as some sort of royalty, and in, in effect, of course, in some places they do have royalty still existing. the the, the ironic thing, though, is that the current royalty, yes. Kate Middleton, I actually oh. tend to like her. No,
2: I do, <laughs> she, but what's the thing? She,
1: she, she comes across as a, as a person just like everybody else. But, right? but
2: the Obamas, they bring up this type of this type of attitude.
1: Well, right. Yeah. They have, you know, the expensive vacations and yeah. all this stuff. So there's there's like, that.
2: They live like king and queen.
1: Right. But we have, you know, a healthy element of our country who has said, look, we've had enough of these politicians yeah. traipsing all over us.
2: Yeah, politicians, is, is, uh, it's a curse now.
1: Right. And, and and being willing to go before Congress and Speak that way and know that you are entitled to speak that way. That is something that is uniquely American, Rand would say. So I, I think that that is uh, definitely a, a very good example.
5: Yeah, and, and by the way, you know, like Vosh, you made the point that the Obamas live like royalty. And that's true. Their attitude is that way. But I don't think most Americans, even on the left, I could be wrong about the left, but I just don't – definitely not, a, not on, on the right. Most Americans don't view the Obamas the way the Obamas
1: view themselves.
2: Oh, no, 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 no not
1: at all, not at all. Absolute I mean, I not. would no, – there,
2: there's absolute contempt.
1: Oh, definitely.
2: And, and it's returned back, back at them. You know what I mean, they have contempt for us. We have, we have contempt for them. But, but they're the ones who, who are in power. And he, he talks about inequality. Look, look at where he lives. Look how many trips they go to. Look what he does. I mean, that, you know there's an absolute inequality between him and the American people. I mean, absolute.
1: Well, right. And then the other thing I was thinking about, too, one of the things that Rand talks about, again, in the Don't Let It Go essay in Philosophy Who Needs It, she talks about the attitude towards money. And we don't really talk about this issue these days as much, but it used to be, you know, there was the new money and the old money. And the old money was money basically gotten either by inheritance or particularly by some special favor that you receive from the government. Right. And that old money was very respected, and this, this idea of royalty and the money coming from them. And the Obamas, as far as I know, they haven't done a real productive thing in their life. And they feel that they're entitled yeah. to all this money and that their money is better than How did the Obama money become, of a Bill Gates, a Steve Jobs. Yeah. How did Obama
2: become rich? He became rich by having a terrorist in front of his, Bill, Bill Ayers, write his first book. It became popular. It took off. That's how he became rich by a pack of lies by a terrorist. Right. I mean, this is how he. This is and think about what he thinks about money. Then, absolutely, you know, it's like well, money. You know, you, you know, I mean? he doesn't respect it. In other words, that's why he can blow everyone else's money.
1: You know, in well, terms so of so far from. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Debbie.
5: Well, I was going to say that so far from having concepts of old money and new money, I just don't think that exists at all now. But in fact, what we have now is. Privately earned money, someone like Steve Jobs, versus government money, corruption
1: money, which is right. But, but so, for someone for someone like Obama, for someone like Obama, or who's the guy who was just appointed the inequality guy and he gets twenty five thousand a month from know. a place to study <laughs> inequality?
2: I don't know. That sounds ridiculous. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember that story? I think wait, his name is Red Bastard. No, think. his oh, his, his, his
1: first his, his first name begins with P. Anyway, somebody'll tell me maybe here in the cheater. chat room. <laughs> anyway, this, you know, this this idea, this idea that Obama is somehow a royalty and untouchable kind of person that he's deserving of all this. The establishment media certainly treats him that way, but there's a an increasing segment of the media that will treat him just like anybody else, any other person and certainly the new media. The funniest example, of course, is Tammy Bruce who calls Obama the jackass routinely, right? And she tweets to him, too. I mean, she tweets the most disrespectful things, and I've sometimes followed along with her and tweeted some disrespectful things to Barack Obama, but that's an American, an American who says, look, this guy is doing wrong for the country. I don't care that he's the President of the United States. I'm going to go ahead and give him a piece of my mind. And that's something that is—it's it's uniquely American. The I would say the Obamas are in their own world. They have a little clique around them that are in their own world, and they have a lot of the establishment media who keeps uh, propping up this Elliot idea. Elliot brings
2: up this one interview by an Obama biographer who says that Obama is disappointed in the world. You know what I mean? Right. And that's supposed to be noteworthy. Oh, that's too bad. I mean, the world is not doing what he wants the world to do.
1: Great. I mean, he thinks that the, that basically primacy of consciousness, that whatever <laughs> like, he whatever he has in his conscious mind, that that should be the way the it's world works. not being expressed works.
2: by others. What yeah.
1: And, and, you know, he, he's supposed to dream something up, and the and, world's just supposed to fall in line. Right,
2: nobody's disappointed in him, though. The world is not disappointed in Obama. It's just that he's disappointed in the world, right? Right. Okay.
1: Right. Every, everything just should have just yourself. gone the way. I uh, go- figured out that a room
5: temp- doesn't, uh, doesn't yes. do any good.
1: <laughs> exactly. It's Paul Krugman, Stuart tells us in the chat room over here what? at Blog Talk Radio. Paul Grug- Krugman is the guy who's being paid $25,000 per me? month to study equality.
2: I mean,
3: <laughs>
2: it, it just makes perfect sense in the world that we're living in that this guy ha- has anything to say that anyone would listen to. I mean, look at him. Have you heard him? Have you seen him?
1: No, not really. I mean, I he saw a picture like of a,
2: him. He looks like a, a villain from Iran's novels. And he speaks like oh, yeah, mean,
1: that.
2: He really does. And his name even, Krugman. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, but you know, the, the, the new money, old money thing, I think, does come up a little bit with Obama. I mean, Obama holds this idea, but now the, the old money is the idea that it's okay if Obama or Krugman or other people on their side of the issue have money. And in fact, that's essential in order to do the right thing in the world. It's okay if Al Gore has the hugest carbon footprint known to mankind so long as he's on the right side of the issue and he's out there supposedly pretending that he's doing something to save us from the evil, what is it called now, climate disruption? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's but, what it's called this no, week, but, climate disruption. The worse <laughs> it
2: gets reality, the further he goes into unreality with, a, with, a, with a global warming now. That's, it, that's his main shtick right now. Inequality didn't really go over too well because he was trying to push that. He goes, uh, global warming, because global warming means anything and everything now. It means global cooling, global warming, whatever it is. And that's his stick right now, to go into the unreality of global warming.
1: Right, exactly, exactly. Mark over here in the chat room at Blog Talk Radio is, actually he was commenting to somebody who was not so Well, somebody yeah, I have to get rid yeah. of. But in any event, uh, said that Michelle Obama has a staff of over 40, Hillary had about three, Laura Bush had a staff of one. And I think what this tells you, again, is that, We have been, in terms of actions, the actions of the nation in particular, the actions of our commander-in-chief and their administrations and families, we've been moving in the nihilist direction. We are continuing to have steps taken in that direction. But I think in the culture, again, I really do believe that you can see an acceleration in the opposite direction. Do you think I'm just a Pollyanna, Debbie?
5: No, I think that what you're saying makes sense. And I'm, I'm glad you're saying it because it's nice to hear something positive. You know, one can get so immersed in the negative things that are going on because you can't not pay attention to them. I mean, if somebody's mugging you or something, you can't just ignore it and everything's going to work out. So you have to notice these things and, and, and pay attention to them. But the danger is that you get so immersed in them that you just get a malevolent universe kind of perspective and feel like we're doomed. And um, so I'm... No, I, I don't generally think that, and I think that there are some encouraging things. Um, but another thing I would add, without digressing too much, is like you asked about the high-tech industry, it's a wonderful environment. Um, it really right. – uh, the, the issue of initiative is, is another of the things that Iran mentioned, and that is certainly alive and well in Silicon Valley. Um, there are – And – and, and, awesome.
1: and, and... Just just, just to kind of flesh out what she was mentioning there, she was talking about individual initiative being a uniquely American thing and that if at the time, at least it was in the 70s, they, she told a story about going to visit a factory in England, I believe, and they said, well, if something broke in the factory in England, then everybody would just wait around until the proper protocols, you know, and this person was contacted and that person and whatever. And in America whoever was there would just say, oh, I think I can fix it, and they would just go and do it. And you're saying that initiative is alive and well in Silicon Valley today?
5: Oh, beyond that. It's beyond just that if something goes wrong, someone in my company would step up to take care of it, whoever was around. But not only that, but there's a lot of instances of people taking the initiative to introduce a new idea not necessarily just the solution to an immediate problem, but like, hey, we're doing it this way. What if we do this other new thing? I think that would be better. You know, like that kind of thing happens a lot. And it's encouraged for obvious reasons. It's a good thing. Um, right. And it, it's very conducive to innovation. So the whole culture at my company and um, probably in a lot of others, I've only worked at a limited number of companies. but. Um, very pro-innovation and very pro-initiative. Uh, so that definitely probably, um, I don't think there was anything like that back in the 70s. Right, I
1: mean,
3: right. Wasn't
1: here. <laughs> <But> Debbie, <laughs> Debbie, we're uh, we're coming up against a hard break. If you'd like to hold on, we'd love to talk to you afterwards, but we do got to take a break for a word from our various sponsors, okay? We'll talk to you on the other side. are listening to the Jezebels again. This is the song Deep Wide Ocean that Bosch was recommending people listen to last week and I managed to actually get it up onto the iTunes this week so I'm getting a little bit more adept at using my iTunes. I don't know that every break is going as smoothly as I would like Bosch but what do you think?
2: I think it sounds fun.
1: What are you listening to this week? Are you listening to anything on the Audible or no?
2: I listened a little to Atlas Shrugged. But uh, the audio, the audible, I haven't heard anything yet um, outside of that. I've uh, just been reading, reading articles and stuff. So, no. And, and talk radio.
1: So you've been reading a lot of news, listening to a lot of talk okay. radio?
2: A lot of, uh, not only Mark Levin, mm-hmm. who's good, more or less is back on track. At least he took a little detour. Anyway, and uh, ESPN app with uh, sports talk and also NBA app, listened to some of the live games of fourth quarters which the playoffs are just they're just really great and competitive as hell right now.
1: Hello to Harry over here in the chat room at Blog Talk Radio. He likes the Jezebels. Cool. So I think the Jezebels, you know, I, I need to meet them. Oh, I've been promoting nice them. Things. I have turned so many people on to the Jezebels. They need to
2: come live and do a little live set in, in the studio here. What the hell? In acoustic. <laughs> why not?
1: It would be great if they would do that, definitely. And I'm glad that I've got my little ASCAP license so I can play stuff and people are getting paid and and I can still promote them, which is awesome. So it's very much fun. Plus, I just—it's so much nicer to have a little bit of music going oh, in and yeah. out of the breaks. No, it's,
2: at first I thought it was really getting in a way, but it's a nice little breaks. Plus, it's all good sound, so that definitely yeah. helps.
1: As long as we don't do too much.
2: No, yeah. and you know, it, it's when when it's rebroadcast. That's the reason why we do it. I mean, just well, it, it won't be clear again. We, you know, there are actual commercials, and there's one radio show on the weekend when when uh, it takes it on.
1: So what you got to do. Is you got to go on to Facebook right now Bosch and you have to check Alex Epstein's page and you got to find out whether he's right now having his essential productivity seminar that we should all be listening to and therefore no (laughs) I don't want you to stop listening to my show we're on a we're on a roll here Yeah. Yeah, so there you're on his page okay so we have to scroll. oh yes on top of his page is a drawing of Alex by Bosch so this is another way cool yeah if you ever want a fun portrait of yourself
2: in a, in a comic book version, a comic book version of yourself, I could do that.
1: I've got one that's been my profile picture off and on for a while. Although right now I've got one of those Throwback Thursday leftovers as my profile picture on Facebook. You can check that out if you, if you want to. Yeah, all it says is that he's back to training. So that answered one of my questions because he says, "Put your question here," and I asked. I said. Was regular sleep or exercise any part of your 4.5 months of writing your book? Because that's what he said. It was four and a half months. And it seems that he wasn't doing his regular training during the four and a half months, which I would understand. I mean, if you're on deadline, you're doing whatever you need to keep yourself healthy, and that's about it. Harry is asking, what was the piano music you used to use as an intro? That was Radiohead. Like, it was,
2: like Spinning Plates.
1: Yeah, the song is called Like Spinning Plates. The live but, version. <laughs> right, right. You want to get the live version. The
2: studio re- uh, album version, it's pretty bad. Yeah, definitely. They just, they've really made it beautiful in the live version. The,
1: the live version is excellent, and that was the one that I used, and I carefully excerpted 30 perfect And we're going to use that every
2: the... time now also, right? <laughs> we're going to go back to that? Yeah, I, I love that opening.
1: The intro that I'm using now is May Spray from the Jezebels. As a matter of fact, you're about to hear it in a second or two. If you want to join in on the conversation, 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. And here we go into the second hour of Don't Let It Go Unheard. This is Amy Peekoff, and you're listening to the second hour of Don't Let It Go Unheard. I'm here with cartoonist Bosch Boston, and we're just talking about the general theme, don't let it go. Don't let the American system, the freedom in America go. And in particular, don't let the American sense of life that has been keeping us from totalitarianism, don't let that go away. And in the first hour, we were focusing more on The actual actions that have been taken generally by this country, the overall political trends of this country, they've still been towards statism, towards nihilism, towards statism ever since 1971 when Rand first wrote the essay, Don't Let It Go. And again, that essay, Don't Let It Go, you can find it in Philosophy Who Needs It, and I've put links at my blog, Don'tLetItGo.com. You can go to Amazon and get it. You can go to iBooks and get it, you know, whatever format you choose. Um, Of course, you can get it through Audible as well and listen to it, AudibleTrial.com. Okay, (laughs) but yeah, definitely go get that book. Not only does it have that, it's got that beautiful speech that she gave, Philosophy Who Needs It at the, you know, at West Point. I want to say the Naval Academy. It's not the Naval Academy. She went to West Point and gave that speech. So that's an excellent one as well, talking about the importance of philosophy. But I love Don't Let It Go, because it talks about the American sense of life, what is unique to Americans in their attitude, in their subconsciously held attitude about themselves, about their place in the world, that has kept us from totalitarianism for so long. And as I said, she argues that this subconsciously held set of ideas that Americans have had and that has kept us safe for so many decades can do so only so long if we don't make these ideas explicit. And what ideas was she talking about? Well, she says, let me give you examples where you contrast the European and the American attitude. One that we discussed with Debbie during the last hour was that the Europeans believe that man belongs to the state. Americans, they see themselves as independent entities, and we actually object to being pushed around. And, um, you know, one of, the, one of the ways I was thinking about it was that we have the flag, don't tread on me, right? So if the Europeans were to have the flag, don't tread on me, it would be, well, well please, Your Excellency, don't tread too hard on me every other Tuesday yeah, or something or like that. Take,
2: or just take out the word don't, you know, <laughs> tread on me.
1: Maybe. But, but but it would be you know don't tread too hard on me too please. obviously i'll be ever so grateful
2: if you don't, don't tread, too tread hard, on me obviously on me <laughs>
1: um and then we talked about the ideas of Europeans and Americans toward, uh, what their beliefs are about money that Americans believe money earned by personal effort that you actually earn by trade giving values to other people that that is good money that that's money that's worth spending and that people should gladly accept whereas I think Obama he himself I think does exemplify the European attitude about old money his money is old money it wasn't earned by any effort out there but basically somehow he's entitled to it because he's promoting what's good for everyone what's good according to his moral code we'll talk more about that the attitude towards achievement Americans admire achievement Europeans regard it with suspicion and envy. And in terms of today, how predominant do you think envy
2: is? Oh man, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you know what? More, it's more open now. It's more acceptable now. Whereas it was, it was shameful before. You know what I mean? It's like uh, the culture itself, and also the the uh, the left is far more naked now. You know, you, you got that young. Rat, holding up the sign, I want communism with a smile, she says. This is, this is the nature of, of, uh, uh, of this uh, attitude now. Envy, I think, is, a, is almost acceptable now. You can feel it, and you've got to make people pay for it. You know, they have to pay for making me feel envy, envious of them.
1: Well, let me ask you about this. With respect to the admiration of achievement versus envy, That's the way that Rand put it, that Americans admire achievement, that the Europeans are filled with envy. They regard achievement with cynical suspicion. What would you say is the overall velocity, as we talked about? Remember, I was saying that the velocity, the direction of movement of America might still be in a negative direction. And yet I see elements of the acceleration in a positive direction, in the opposite direction. And I would say that there are elements in our culture that... Reject envy and yeah. that admire achievement. I mean, look at
2: Steve Jobs and the reaction to his life and to his death and to his products. I mean, he's a hero to many Americans, millions of Americans. Um, and then there are the scum who hated him because of that. You know, right. the, the, the the leftists, the rats.
1: Well, and here, here's a, here's another thing that I, I was thinking about this about the Occupy movement. Mm. I saw the Occupy movement as a real test of how far they could get with envy. Yeah. As
3: they died the primary motivation and the
1: Occupy movement. Uh, died. There's not much to it out there No, there are still like I said, I just saw this meme going around Facebook but, this woman's holding this little placard saying I want communism yeah. because it's the, fair you were supposed
2: to it's like the but, the acceptance the normalization of envy to express it openly is far more today than it was back Then I think there was still a shame attached well, to it
1: That goes that goes back to what Joel said in the chat room over here at block talk radio in the last hour you know the first yeah. hour of the show and he was saying that what you're seeing is polar opposites. So you're seeing the pure communist mm-hmm. mentality, yeah. the Occupy mentality. It's being expressed out yep. there, and the polar opposite, Rand's ideas, are, start, are starting to get a hearing but, as well.
2: But I think also, when I say the explicit nature of it, uh, Obama cannot come out and say what he actually means and what he intends for us. He cannot do that. We're still not at that point where he says, you know what, I, I push socialized medicine. You know, what I mean, I am going towards totalitarianism. He cannot say these things; it's impossible. He, no, has he, to make he says
1: little things here and there, little, but not no, yet. no, yeah. But yeah. They're, slips. Slip ups, they're, right. slip slips. they're
2: yeah. not explicit, you know, with what he intends. He can't do that yet. That's right. also a good sign. I think you're
1: right. Yeah. No, I, I definitely think you're right. So I would say the fact that the Occupy movement didn't take off the way that yeah. they probably expected it to it's all,
2: it, showed, it's all, it, would, it would be a wave.
1: It, it showed that envy is not yet a predominant emotion. Now. What is this latest thing that the Pope put out there
2: the, uh, about
1: legitimate yeah. redistribution? Yeah. Is that going to have an effect? Is that going to have an effect here in the United you States? You know what?
2: It, it, that's the question. Because the last Pope and this Pope are, were socialists. I mean, that's that's what they are. And uh, they get openly dismissed by some. But I, I want to question them as well. I, I said, well, if Jesus, you know, would, wouldn't he pull that same crap? I mean, isn't wasn't he of that? Wasn't he... Contemptuous of the rich and hateful of the rich. Yes, yes, he was. Right. And so they're just expressing the the old altruistic religious crap that they always have. It's just that today, you know, he he is on the side of of Obama. There's no question about that. And the religionists don't like that. They're like, wait a minute, Obama's bad. You're, You're you're speaking his language.
1: Now I see your Pope, you know, putting this out there. I don't know if it was an encyclical or just some statement that he put out there. I don't know enough about papal procedure to, to know what these statements are. But anyway, this thing versus how about the trend on the internet of passing around videos of people showing off their accomplishments and their talents. So you see kids who are fantastic drummers at the age of three, or you see people who they look just kind of homely and there's nothing about them, and then they belt out with a wonderful voice on stage. And you admire talents and achievements no. of people. And people pass these videos around and they go viral. No. I think some of that shows that we do admire yeah. achievement, that we're not so much consumed with envy. But you know, this is an open question, and these are the kinds of things that we need to ask. How much is envy a predominant emotion felt by Americans in the culture or how much is are we really more inclined to admire achievement of others as opposed to be envious Just, of it
2: I think Obama was president also because of that attitude I think a lot of people voted for him to say you know what good you know to help we're gonna get ours yeah.
1: or whatever exactly
2: yeah. that that was part of voting him in
1: so yeah so overall in terms of the actions but then versus what you know again I keep going back to this this metaphor which is the idea of a particle's velocity and direction versus its acceleration. And I think we, there's a good argument to be made, and I bet I could get your own, Brooke, to agree with me, mm-hmm. that the acceleration in the culture is positive even if the velocity in the direction is still negative. And to me, that means that there's actually hope. Let me get through a couple of these factors, and then I want to take some calls. We have a couple calls waiting over here at Block Talk Radio. Uh, one is or this is actually number four on our list. Number four is the attitude towards public figures. and Debbie and I were talking that, about that in the last hour. Americans, we treat our public figures and our politicians with respect, usually,
2: but, but it's, doubt yeah, but it's but it's
1: the respect that we give equals. We feel like they are just yeah. human beings, just like we are. They've achieved things, we probably admire of them sometimes stuff, but we call them by their first names. We call presidents. By initials, you know Rand points out Europeans, on the other hand, they see like you know these pol- these politicians or these public figures They're are some leaders. sort of royalty, yeah. and in fact, sometimes they don't admire the achievements of their cultural figures until they've been knighted yeah. so I was thinking of elton John Elton right. John, a tremendously accomplished performer and songwriter, until he was Sir Elton John <laughs> uh, yeah so. Again, I,
2: legitimized,
1: yeah. what do we have today? Today we've got the establishment media treating Obama like some sort of royalty, but we do have the new media where there's a lot of rebellion against this. And I would say, again, I think that the overall acceleration is positive. Maybe even the trend is positive given the small viewer ratings for the mainstream media right. outlets True. And the the fact that the ratings for even Fox News, which is the readership better. for New York
2: Times, half of what it was a number of years ago, half.
1: Yeah. So you might even there say that the trend is positive. Not. I don't even have to just look at acceleration. We'll we'll see how that goes as time goes on. And then finally, there's something called social atmosphere that Rand discussed, and she gave the example of a European who visits America, and who says that someone who is wealthy or well known would be embarrassed to go to, for example, Target or Walmart. Uh, in Europe, she said that they have different stores for different classes of people and that you would basically destroy your reputation mm-hmm. if you went to Walmart or Target, which is not true here. And Rand says, you know, we go to these places. Uh, Rand writes this. She says, a European on any social level lives emotionally in a world made by others. He never knows clearly by whom. And... This person um, basically accepts his place in that world and that's all he does. He sees, you know, he uh, he just seeks or accepts his place in this she world that's made by others, right? To Americans' attitude by contrast says uh, Ayn Rand is expressed by a line from the poem The Westerner by Badger Clark, and you've probably heard this one before. It is the world began when I was born and the world is mine to win. Oh. That's the attitude of Americans, she says. Americans also are more habitually happy than in Europe. Europe, Rand described, at least as in 1971, was engulfed with mysticism, lethargic resignation, a cult of suffering, the idea that misery and impotence are man's fate on earth, end quote.
2: And what they're bringing in uh, Muslims, millions and millions since the 70s, it's even worse now in Europe. Probably you know, at, at, at that time is when they started to bring him in right and one uh, an imam said we will conquer you by the Wombs of our women, you know, that's what he said and in a lot of ways they have
1: well You know here here's another thing to think about right. I would say There's still a lot of good element of the American sense of life alive and well here and it is operating and helping us in in addition to some of the explicit ideas being changed. I think the explicit influence of Ayn Rand is starting to have an effect. And like I said, it's the acceleration effect. It's not necessarily that we're going in the right direction yet, but you can see that the acceleration is in the direction of individualism, yep. egoism,
2: She's armed rational
1: self-interest, reason.
2: She's armed us. To the teeth. She has. Says we have to, you know... Get out there. And, well,
1: and, and I do. I think, I think that it is having its effect, and we'll see how time goes. The other thing to think about, too, though, is the sense of life among people who explicitly hold Rand's ideas. Right. And that's a little bit trickier because, as we were talking about with Debbie earlier, and you said you've been reading a lot of news right. this week, I think if you are looking at... The actions all the time. If you're looking at the actions all the time, yeah. and you see that the trend is still towards statism, it is hard yeah. to maintain the positive sense of life sure. encompassed by all these ideas,
2: yeah.
1: right? The but, I- the idea I that exist. that you are capable of achieving things,
2: Right.
1: that you're worthy of achieving. And that's,
2: and that's part of also. I think but you're push. just
1: as good as other people. That You know, you have the right to criticize Obama and evaluate right. and judge him and reject him and, and, and reject him as being metaphysically important in any way, right? right. You know, he, he's not of significance. All these kinds of things, I think it is typical of objectivists sometimes to get mired in the trend and not necessarily retain the sense of life. And even though we are giving ourselves the job of explicitly spreading the right ideas it's hard to maintain the sense of life that's consistent with those ideas if you don't, you know, be careful about letting all this stuff in from the culture.
2: Well, you know, we have to recognize where we are at the same time. Yeah. We, can't, we can't get beaten by it, but we have to see it. We have to read it. We have to come across it and fight it. We Say have... this is dead wrong, and here's why.
1: Exactly. We have a couple calls over here at Blog Talks. So we want to see if we're on the right track. Hi, who's this?
6: Hi, it's Tom. Hi, Tom. Okay. Um, One of the things, well, I have two things I'd like to mention. Uh, One is that you are not differentiating between the academic and intellectual elite and the common people when you're talking about the culture. And they're two different groups entirely. Uh, The uh, academic elites, the intellectuals, the artists that are behind uh, collectivism so much so often are greatly resentful that they're not given the special uh, consideration, dispensation that is common in Europe. Right. And so you have to differentiate what are the attitudes of the American people and what are the attitudes of these irrational uh, academics and intellectuals that are pushing this uh, irrationality.
1: I mean, I think generally generally in the culture... You can see an attitude towards the academics and intellectuals that's pretty similar to what it was in the 70s. A lot of people just dismiss the academics as being that important, which is actually a little bit sad, right? That's one of the things that Americans need to realize is that these ideas that are spawned in the universities have consequences and they lead to the things like Common Core that Americans are now... Explicitly rejecting, but they didn't realize, for instance, that the ideas taught in the universities led to this horrible thing of Common Core. So there's that. Um, I, I would well, say at the you, same yes. time, with within universities, within universities, we are now seeing a uh, you know bigger acceptance of free market ideas and often, Ayn Rand's ideas. Uh, it's true that in a lot of places Ayn Rand is laughed out, you know, is not serious and et cetera. But I, I would say, it, you know, if you are an objectivist, an Ayn Rand scholar, the prospects are much better for you today. Look at this guy who just published on Salon. He is a philosophy professor, I believe, at DePaul University. And he's writing this eloquent piece where he shows that he actually understands objectivism, not on a superficial level. And he's there. How does this? happen i this would not have happened 10 years ago i absolutely would say not.
2: absolutely not. Well, so no, i 10 years
1: I, ago, I i don't, I don't know that uh, hostility what would you say
6: and 10 years ago he would have been screaming hostility or someone else would right if he's a college professor i mean you know i remember when i went to a college a long 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 time ago professors were very very hostile to the very suggestion i mean they'd get emotionally disturbed.
1: Yeah, some, some definitely did. So I think, you know, in terms of academia, we're seeing the same sort of, again, you might say, in general, some of the trend might be towards increasing irrationality and nihilism and statism in, in terms of the ideas that are espoused in our universities, maybe the overall trend, but the acceleration back towards free market ideas and even explicit you know, teaching of of Ayn Rand and objectivism to an extent we haven't seen in the past. So, again, I I would say the the same thing applies. What was the other thing that you had, Tom?
6: The other thing you were mentioning about recording and then transcribing, and I wanted to suggest you consider software called Dragon Naturally Speaking. It's supposed to be 99% accurate. Have
1: have you been using it recently?
6: Uh, Not recently. I have... uh, Well, I had XP and Comcast has a program that will allow them to break into people's computers, and I have all sorts of viruses. And I had to decide—you know—it's cheaper to go buy a new computer than the expenses of getting that cleaned. Yeah, it is. But anyway, I have uh, the new. I was using Dragon Nine, so I have uh, version twelve now. And from just from using nine, I would say, yeah, it's it's it's. Pretty good. Uh, Like they say, it starts off right out of the box. It'll get 99% accurate uh, transcription. And well,
1: you know, you know what? Um, You know, I thank you for the suggestion, and I'm gonna go ahead and and, uh, just answer you here a little bit off air. Thank you for the suggestion. I will check it out, Tom. But um, what I think what I might do is just record myself if I'm going to do this, because if I saw the text coming on the screen and I saw there was a little error, I'd I'd be tempted to edit. And that's one of the things that the the reason people like this method of, of talking your book, so to speak, is that you won't feel like you have to edit as much. You're just going to let get those ideas out. And that's one of the things that people have a hard time with when they're writing is just writing and letting it go and not editing right. at the same time, which they're tempted to do sometimes if if they're typing. So thanks, Tom, for calling in. We're going to check out the next caller here. Hi, who's this? Hello?
2: To it, I thing. hear a siren
1: hey, maybe. I, I, yeah. I boss.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, something's going on here. Uh once again. There's always it's probably about twice an hour that I get uh sirens. Uh, tw- twenty hours a day. <laughs> too many hospitals, too many too many precincts, too many firehouses uh in my neighborhood. So anyway, on to the topic, right? Yes. Definitely. So this is one of my favorite uh, articles by Ayn Rand, um, Don't Let It Go, because it is so positive and the the distinction between America and Europe was, to me, it was so much greater back then than it is now. And I think this last election was the closest we've come to being Europeans because basically the choice was uh, complete. You know government running your life compared to much less uh, government running your life and uh, the you know the the voting public went you know went with, uh, with after four years of obvious evidence of of what Obama was like, they still went with him, and that was really to me really disheartening and I, and I just felt like uh, in too many ways we've now become Europe
1: right right no i mean i think again that's true in the sense of that's the path we continue to go down but nonetheless mm-hmm. i do think the i do think the acceleration is in the opposite direction so i'm hoping to have that argument with you robert we're coming up against a break here so will you hold on and we'll continue our discussion after the break oh yeah sure mm-hmm. okay great thanks very much robert again if other people want to call in and talk about this 760 760- Again, that's 760-888-5817 and we'll be back in a second. bit more of, uh, of the Jezebels there and Bosch is telling me yeah I should kind of change, kind of increase the volume gradually as we go into that. It's <laughs>
2: like flipping on ice and falling on your butt. You know, that's what, was like whoa, okay.
1: Because we still got a little bit of sausage here with the new audio setup. By the way, thank you to all the contributors who have made this possible and we've had a couple uh, new contributions in the last week which we thank you for. We are coming up at the end of this month. On the blog talk annual renewal, and I like to do the annual renewal just because it saves you some money. you get two months free and everything. So the money is definitely being put to good use, especially this time of year. If you are a longtime listener who's never donated and you've thought about it, this is of course a good time because we are coming up on the annual renewal for the blog talk fees. And the other thing is if you know if you are, a contributor you've been a show supporter in the past but you haven't contributed for a while and you think you can afford to chip in a little bit we always always definitely appreciate it the other thing that sometimes we do I don't know I feel a little guilty about this sometimes actually buy a healthy meal on the day of the show yeah. using the fees that people oh. send as opposed to doing like Carl's Jr. <laughs> or something I'll buy some fish some to go fish from my favorite fish place yeah. So this is the kind of stuff that we do with the the money that you send in, which we greatly, definitely appreciate. So we've got more callers to talk about. We've got some stories to talk about. Boshy, we're doing okay so far. Oh
2: yeah. I, I think know. we're we're I'm kind of sure. behind
1: on my agenda over here at Don't Let It Go I have that. so many stories. Yeah, though. but
2: but that's the whole thing. I'm I'm glad we we were off the stories today. We're talking about the culture that we're living in right now. Right. You know, and that's that's important as so. well.
1: You know what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to do a tour de force towards the end of the show, which will be to go through the different stories and explain why I've included them there in terms of what we're talking about today. That's going to be my mental exercise for the last few minutes or so. Yeah, we've got to play that as well. We have to talk about that in particular. Bosch is uh, gesturing to – he's got a clip from Mark Levin that we're going to play pretty soon – And it's important because it talks about how free is our speech. And, again, one of the things that struck me on rereading Don't Let It Go today was... Ayn Rand's essay. Yeah, uh, yeah, the Ayn Rand's Don't Let It Go, is this statement by Rand where she says, yes, dominant ideas can be determined by a majority, but also, if a country is free, that's so important, if a country is free, you can have a combination of persistence and the truth, and thereby... You know establish the dominant ideas in the culture and that's what we're trying to do we're trying to save this darn country that we love by spreading the right ideas and we're just going to persist i mean that's what we're going to do we're going to keep going and we know that we've got the truth on our side and we we are seeing signs that's what i've been arguing right. today we are seeing signs that it is having an effect
2: so Joel brought up also america and the, and the great success of it Captain
1: America's great success I think is a good example as well so Joel that's a that's a very good point. So what I'm going to try to do here what do we got we got 30 seconds or so. Let's see if I can practice a <laughs> a smooth going into a bump here playing a little bit more of the Jezebel's Deep Wide Ocean. You're listening to Don't Let It Go On Her. This is Amy Peacock. I've got cartoonist Bosch Fauston in the studio here with me. And before the break, we were speaking to Robert NYC, so we're going to go ahead and return
2: to Robert. With him, not to. Did I say two? Yeah, that's
1: one. Oh, I was talking (laughs) at Robert. I (laughs) I was just talking at him. You know, I wasn't wasn't listening at all.
0: (laughs) You're still the boss, Amy. That's
1: so, right. so, Ro- right. so, Robert, I know that you are a productivity junkie. So, the fact that you are still here listening to us right now must mean that Alex Epstein has not yet released his podcast, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> I yeah, I guess not.
1: <clears throat> okay, that's all he says. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: I'm yeah. looking forward to it. I, you know, he's he's a junkie of productivity stuff. So, even if you don't yes. necessarily agree with his conclusions about. The pro- best productivity strategies. I know you've got your own ideas as well. I think he's always worth listening to, even if you're not. Oh gonna... yeah, no,
0: I I apply Alex's. He's got okay, some great you, ones. You I paid him Alex's. money okay. for his stuff. Actually, yeah, yeah, no, his resolution revolution is was life changing for me. Actually, I got to admit. So I'm all for everything Alex is doing. We need to multiply Alex by about 100, and then we'll have the culture in about two years.
1: Well, and this is is why I like the fact that he's just putting his podcast out there saying, hey, I'm just going to give you what I can on what I did. Because what I did is I said, hey, come on my show. And promote your book and give us a few tips in the process. That would be wonderful because we just want to, I know he's learned something by doing this. And mm-hmm. we, want, we all want to know what it is. So I think that's going to be very good. And, and here's another thing, too, that I, a point I wanted to make, which is that keeping the sense of life, the proper sense of life alive in you is not just a matter of espousing the right ideas explicitly. It's a fact of living the ideas. And part of living the ideas is actually achieving things. So, yeah, you know, this attitude towards achievement, you have a much better attitude towards achievement if you are in the process of achieving things that you think are valuable to you. And if you in your own mind have said to yourself, okay, I need to write a book. I need to write a book, I should write a book. If you've been shitting on yourself about writing a book and then you don't do it, you're going to feel like crap about yourself and and your attitude about achievement is not going to be a positive one. And it doesn't matter, I think. You're not going to be as effective an advocate of the right ideas if you don't have that implicit sense of life behind it. Yes or no?
0: Absolutely, Amy. I'm really glad you brought that up because as down as I might sound, it's it's much more about the broader culture than about my own situation in the culture because I'm moving forward like, you know, like a steamroller. I I just have things to do. And yeah, the government's getting in my way, but I'm still getting things done. And, um, and that's not going to stop, you know, that's, that's not, uh, uh, it's not going to stop. So, and, and my positive attitude towards life as such will not change. It's just that my my fear for America, and this is the last thing I'll say on this. This is the last negative thing, at least I would say, is the the sadness from 1971 to now is we have such a dumbed down voting public, okay, brainwashed mm-hmm. government school, brainwashed public that even the right ideas I just I, I'm skeptical that they can penetrate into the masses and. Um, uh, while this, you know, while this battle is going, and that's that's the thing I fear most is that we just have this perceptual level voting public, and we we are discussing high level conceptual ideas that that just take a long time to implement. But, you know, as Ayman says, those who fight for the future well, live in it. So,
1: and, I, and I think it's not just that they've been dumbed down by the progressive education. The explicitly wrong ideas have been hammered into them as well. So, yes. you know, if there's any remnant of sense of life, it might be coming from the parents, and that's a remnant from the grandparents. And But in a positive trend in terms of education, There's a huge homeschooling movement and there's Mm -hmm. also a huge, Mm -hmm. a huge trend towards Montessori based training. And I would say that both of those are going to come back. And again, go back to Rand, right? Go back to what she said, which is that it's not necessarily has to be a majority that's going to create the dominant ideas in a culture. It can be a determined, persistent minority operating with the truth within the context of a free society. And I think as long as we have enough people armed with proper thinking methods and the truth and we're persistent and we're not completely closed off from communicating, that's that's what to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I will agree with that. I, I okay. will agree with that.
0: I, I just, uh, you know, <laughs> I hope we can get enough, you know, enough of that out there in enough time because
1: uh, that's, what we're, yes, all, that's what we're all working and- for that's what we're mm-hmm. all working for and and I and I think the resistance to common core right now is a very healthy trend yeah. in that regard so anyway robert i'm going to take one other okay, call that we have you. i thank thank yep. you very much for calling Just and we look, look forward to talking
2: more again, again. Quick. Yeah, go ahead observation I'm, I'm i'm thinking about the battle here and you got to like, look you know your own when he's out there he's full of life you know it's it's obvious it's clear to his audience they know this guy is full of life and the other side, you got those who are full of you know what. They're full of lies. They're full of BS. And that comes clear also. And to Obama, I think the the, the everyday people listening to him, watching him, they know he's a lying rat. Even those who are on his side, they know this guy's full of crap. And that is also against them. They know they they can smell truth even if they're not you know completely attuned to it as as honest people are. Uh, So I think that's also something, just the whole demeanor, the whole uh, attitude of what is being said and how it's being said. Right. I think it's really so obvious. I mean, Obama's full of crap.
1: You know, another thing that we can do, I think, to help kind of bridge between – I mean, because there's people – there's a bunch of kids who are now either being homeschooled in Better Methods or they're coming up through Montessori programs. And there's the older people who are tea partiers. I guess the average tea yeah. partier is an older person.
2: I imagine, but I don't know. To, I mean, he- I, to I've help. Been, I've been to a few, but not necessarily. I mean, there are people younger also.
1: Yeah, to help kind of bridge. I think Brittany Fay Rivera of The Undercurrent is right that there also needs to be a, you know, a cultural movement within colleges. Yeah. And she's working on that. So if you want to find out what Brittany's doing to try to help in that regard, go to The Undercurrent. When I, say you're own, I,
2: I met you on Brooke. The president of... Uh, of Ayn Rand Institute, Institute. yeah,
1: of course, of course. Now, we've got another call that I'm going to go ahead and take here. Actually, we're getting more calls. This is excellent. Hi, who's this?
4: Hi, Amy. Hi, Bosh. It's Mike Kralis. How are you? Hey, Mike. Hi,
1: doing good. How about you?
4: Doing good, thanks. I just... Uh, the, for the, what you just mentioned from uh, Ayn Rand's essay uh, about the determined, persistent minority... Uh, Ayn Rand, I don't know if she meant to or not when she wrote the essay, I, uh, I don't know, but she just described the founders in that one statement because oh, the percentage true. the percentage of colonists that wanted revolution, that wanted separation, that wanted independence was maybe 10% at the wow. most. And it was infinitely small, but mm-hmm. they were persistent and they were honest and they were right. And they right. had right on their side, and they had the truth on their side. And, they, and they, right. just wouldn't, they wouldn't bow, they wouldn't bend their knee, and they fought. And, you know, no one, no one wants to fight to be free, but sometimes you have to. And uh, I, think, I, th- I think Rand hits that on the head in so many things that she wrote, fiction and nonfiction, where no, it, comes exactly. a time, it comes a time when you have to fight. And nobody wants to no one wants to get into a fight where you actually have to fight to be free right but sometimes the only way to maintain your freedom or to attain it outright is to fight
1: you know and, uh, Mike that that br- that brings up one thing that I did want to mention today and I wanted to mention it in connection with some of the stories that I've got listed on my blog at don't let it go um, do you mind if we cut this a little bit short and I go to some of those because what I want to talk about is are we free, are we able to communicate and spread these ideas and be persistent, spreading the truth in the culture, or are we in a state where we're going to actually end up having to fight about this? And that's what some of the stories bring up today. So um, let me go ahead okay. And, and,
4: well, and... Okay, well, can I, can I finish just with one statement? Just of take of a course, few seconds. Of course, of yeah. course. Uh, you know, thank the good Lord above or whomever you want to thank or whatever for, for this right now, the mm-hmm. Internet. Because this right. is – I mean, if, if, if Thomas Paine and those guys were alive today, they'd be doing what you're doing. They'd be podcasting. Exactly. They'd be exactly. on the internet blogging like crazy, screaming for freedom. So, yes, I, 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 again, I've said it a million times. I love what you and Bosch do, uh, exposing, uh, helping expose me to uh, Rand's ideas, which I knew just on a cursory basis. Uh, and uh, so just uh, just keep what you're doing, keep doing what you're doing. I'll let you guys go. Thanks very passionate Michael.
1: thanks very much for calling in again Mike. And I, I think it's right that there's a lot of people who listen to this show who they themselves believe that it is they have the right to the pursuit of happiness, that it is right for them to pursue their own happiness. Those are the type of people who are going to be attracted to this show, who believe in the right to pursue, their own happiness, and believe that it is right yeah. for them to pursue their own happiness. And to the extent that people believe that, you hold implicitly RAND's essential yeah. framework. True. And one of the goals of this show is just to basically show you that, really, you do really already hold these ideas to the extent that you believe that. You've got um, something here that you're showing me, bosch
2: It's just a quote And uh, mm-hmm. in terms of, of, of the majority. We don't have to take over the majority. We yeah. will not. And as Samuel Adams said, he goes, it does not take a majority to prevail, but rather an irate, tireless minority, keen on setting brush fires of freedom in the minds of men. It's powerful, and it's absolutely true. You get people who love the truth, who follow it to where it leads and tell it. Uh, you will attract people. You will attract people whether they're like you. you know, they'll, they'll be like, whoa, there's something going on here, something true, something real, and I need to know more about that. Uh, so that's also a way to do it.
1: Exactly. Now, let's what I want to do, Bosh, in the several minutes that we have left, and I'd like to take the caller that we have if we've got time as well, is run through the stories that I've got here at well. DontLetItGo.com. I have a number of stories lined up and just kind of say what was my thinking in terms of including them in today's show, the overall theme of Don't Let It Go, Don't Let the American Sense of Life Go, how are we doing as a culture compared to 1971 when Ayn Rand wrote the essay, Don't Let It Go?, in philosophy who needs it one I couldn't resist putting it in here Romney Romney calls for minimum wage increase in a split with business groups what does this show you Romney is just more of the same old same old and he is not part of the positive acceleration in the right he's direction as I've the, been talking about this whole the show. not
2: absolutely at all
1: not. dismiss the bastard
2: absolutely
1: so there's that <laughs> Hot air survey results, presidential primary candidate, and issue testing. Bosch, you sent me this because you said that there was something dominant throughout, which is what? Ted Cruz. Okay.
2: Almost every major issue, he kept coming up on top of all the ones on the right. And that's that's America talking. Ted
1: Cruz is our most principled politician in terms of individual rights and freedom that is out there in the realistic field now. Yes. I take this as a positive sign. Uh, Ted Cruz, another great positive thing from him this week is he collected 76 different examples of lawless action by the White House. Ted Cruz, by doing this, is demonstrating that he, as a lowly freshman mm-hmm. senator, feels competent to point out lawlessness by Obama and therefore is himself demonstrating the American sense of wow. life that says, we don't have this idea of a case system or royalty or, you know, give Obama already, this respect. You know. yeah, he's a uh, uppity <laughs> freshman uppity. What the hell? excellent, I love it um, Pope Francis decries global exclusion of the poor and calls for a legitimate redistribution. This is an example of the same old altruist ideas that have been pushing us on the road towards statism and What effect is this going to have? I don't know. But if people have too much respect for the Pope, they're going to let this seep into their thinking. And that redistribution, altruism is somehow legitimate. And to that extent, you're going to undermine your belief in your right to pursue your own happiness and the basic ideas of the founders. There's no way around it. Uh, U.S. government begins. Now, here's where we start getting into the free speech stuff, right? And the free speech stuff is really the key. Because again, the sentence that grabbed me from Rand's essay is about the idea that you do not need to have a majority in order to establish dominant ideas in the culture. What you need is a vocal minority who is persistent and who has the truth on their side. But you need to be in the context of a free society where we're free to do this. And there's a number of stories that are disturbing in this regard. One is U.S. government begins its rollout of a so-called driver's license for the Internet. Rob Abieria, thank you for sending me this story via Facebook. It's on techdirt.com, and it says an idea the government has been kicking around since 2011 is finally making its debut. Calling this move ill-timed would be the most gracious way of putting it. And here's a quote. It says, a few years back, the White House had a brilliant idea. Why not create a single secure online ID that Americans could use to verify their identity across multiple websites, starting with local government services? The New York Times described it as, quote, a driver's license for the Internet. Sound convenient? It is. Sound scary? It is. And they say, next month, a pilot program of the quote, national strategy for trusted identities in cyberspace will begin in government agencies in two U.S. states to test out whether the pros of a federally verified cyber ID outweigh the cons. This is tracking you on the Internet. Tracking you. I've, I've talked about this before. I've got a post on my blog about how Attack Watch is an example of force-stopping thinking. You say, oh, well, how can the fact that they're just merely watching you shut down what you're doing? You know if they're watching you. They're watching you. Why? Because something bad is going to happen to you because the government has the power to bring that upon you. Give you an example. Case in point, right here, is my next headline. And again, go to my blog, don'tletitgo.com. I'm going through these stories quick, but you can check them all out there. House Republicans find that 10% of Tea Party donors are audited by the IRS. 10%. 10% is a high rate of audit, much higher than the normal rate, which is I think one point something percent is the rate of auditing normally in the United States. 10% of Tea Party donors are audited by the IRS. So IRS gets a list of Tea Party donors, combs through it, decides they're going to harass some of them. Why? Because they can. And because they want to perpetuate their theft of our money. Translate that back to the national driver's license or whatever it is for the Internet. You use your secure government ID, whatever it is, and you go out there expressing your views, and you express views that come up in their search engines in certain ways, and suddenly you've got IRS auditing. You think it's... uh, not going to happen. I think the fact that the 10% rate among Tea Party donors happened is evidence that it can happen here. Uh, House votes to hold Lois Lerner in contempt. I put that there basically with a question. Yes, they hold her in end. contempt, and then what's going to happen and next? What? Is something actually going to be done about the IRS? If we get our way. Elect someone like Ted Cruz Absolutely. and abolish the IRS and abolish the power that the IRS has over people. Most alarmingly, in recent years,
2: the power that the IRS has had to curb speech. Even saying that today, abolish. I said, oh my God, you know what I mean. Because they know that if you... Abolish if you, the IRS. Yeah. Abolish the IRS. Yeah,
1: abolish the IRS. You're
2: entering reality with something that's so impossible. No, no, it's very possible. Yeah. We can absolutely do it. We can repeal Obamacare. What, what has been done can be undone.
1: I didn't say abolish the income tax tomorrow. I do want to abolish the yes. mandatory compulsory income tax. Now, that is a goal of mine down the road to abandon, step step abolish the compulsory income tax. This. But we could tomorrow get rid of the IRS, go for some sort of flat tax that funded the government at its current level, whatever it is, and we would still be so much better off. I mean, imagine how much you would save in terms of the hours and stress of your life with those stupid tax forms, first of all. And imagine how we would get rid of all of the government nudging you in this way and that way Oh, buy a house so you can get your income tax deduction do this so you can get that deduction don't do that because mm-hmm. it's got bad tax oh don't donate to charity because it's tax-deductible why not just get rid of incentives on our behavior that are based in taxation entirely and your and own Brooke spoke with John Stossel extensively about this you can go find that clip on um, on Stossel on Fox News so I think that would be excellent um, are they going to get rid of the IRS? I don't know. Are the Republicans, as currently constituted, going to do anything about the IRS? I no. would think no. no. I would think unless we get somebody good in 2016,
2: they have to be taken over by the two-party period. Have to eventually.
1: Gotta Got get rid of it. Um, here is another story that directly, you know, kind of links to the issue of free speech and how much free speech do we have anymore. FEC chair warns that conservative media like Dredge Report and Sean Hannity face regulation like PACS. FEC, Federal Election Commission, they want to regulate the conservative media. This is the most brazen proposal of censorship. I mean, the proposals for censorship in this country are getting so open and brazen, it is scary. Are they going to succeed? I don't know. But the fact that they, oh, yeah, we should just do this, no problem. We don't see anything. It's like they've never read the First Amendment in their lives. That's scary.
2: It's, I think the thought of this has cowed Mark Levin. And it, it has cowed him. Even just? To, yeah,
1: go ahead and play the clip
7: that you were here's talking clip. about. Look what's going on in Nigeria as I speak.
2: This is Mark Levin.
7: I don't believe that's racism. It's just inhumanity. Absolute inhumanity. And it's not just going on there. It goes on in Afghanistan. goes on everywhere. I haven't seen any stories of Christians targeting little Muslim students in Nigeria. Kidnapping Muslim girls and selling them off to Christians. I haven't seen any of that. Why is that? I don't see the Jews doing that in Israel. Why is that? Something terribly wrong. I'll let you answer it yourselves. Because if I answer it here, I'll be thrown off the air.
2: He actually believes that he'll be actually, thrown play, off the play,
1: air. Yeah, play it a little bit more because he says why he believes he'll be thrown off the air.
7: Because that's the nature of this business and the nature of the FCC in this country.
1: He thinks he'll be thrown off the air if he tells you the truth about Islam as the root cause of what's going on right now.
2: That's not true. That's not true that he'll be thrown off the air. He has decided he has decided on his own that uh, I'm gonna knock out my own free speech because they might do it later on. This is bad. And he's he's very weak on, on Islam to begin with, he uses the Islamo fascism Islam Nazism term, that's what he uses. But he's telling us, I will not say what I think to be true, even though I, I don't know what I haven't started. But I will not say because I might be knocked off the air. That is some scary stuff in his own mind. He's one of the most successful talk show hosts in America, one of the best, if not the best, on a major level. And he's saying, I will not say the I word. You know? it's, it's now the N word to
1: him. Well, and now I would say to the extent that people who have free speech censor themselves in anticipation. they contributed you contribute to, to the loss of free to speech. censorship. Yes.
2: yes. And that's what he's done, which is terrible. And uh, he has to be called I don't know. I mean, I'm going to see if I can somehow let him know this is unacceptable. If you know that to be true and you're not saying it,
3: right. then yes. you
2: just, you basically told us to hell with free speech, I'm going to limit myself, because they might limit me later on.
1: Anyway, the, the reason that this is so, so important, again, is this issue of having a vocal, persistent minority able to spread the truth in the context of a free society. We need the free society there as a precondition of this being effective.
2: Express it. Speak it. You can. You still can.
1: Now, talking about wimpy expressions of speech and opposition, you gave me this story about the Beverly Hills Hotel boycott.
3: Give, well, give no, the
2: essence of it. I think it's having to do with, they're They're protesting Islam, but they're trying to protest that one individual who is part of a government who wants to install Sharia law now, and also in terms of what's going on with the Boko Haram, which I call it, it's, it's Haram. And uh, Hollywood actors are going in their toilets, more or less, like with Justin Timberlake, he's in his, uh, what do you call that, robe? Yes. And he has a thing, real men don't um, buy, women. Buy, buy girls, something yes. like that. That's their protest, and they're, doing, they're not doing it in like a Tea Party protest with individuals. They're doing it in the privacy of their own home very, very safely. They're saying nothing. Real men don't hold placards that say real men don't buy girls. They make movies against those, those rats. Is Sean Penn going to make a movie against, against the uh, Islamic pimps? I doubt it.
1: Probably not, probably not. Guys, you know, we've got only a minute left. What I, I urge you to do, yeah. yeah, well, we've got at least one more call that I wasn't able to take. I'm very sorry if you're holding on. Please do call next time. We can continue. This discussion next week. I also urge you to go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com to look at the stories we haven't been able to get to. California wants to tax you for every mile that you drive in addition to the gas tax that's a per gallon tax already there. And in particular I want you to check out the Salon article written by someone who came here from Jamaica who greatly admires and understands Ayn Rand. It is amazing and it is one of the primary examples I'm citing as an acceleration in the positive direction in our culture. So while you're there at DontLetItGo.com, leave comments on today's show. We can continue the discussion there. Also subscribe to the blog if you want to keep up on everything that we're doing. And if you donate to the show, we greatly appreciate it as well. Take care, everyone. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next time.